thankful for Pastor Nick in the many ways uh, that he serves uh, so many of us. Thankful for the worship team and the way that you served us in helping us sing today. I'm always thankful for the people that we don't see uh, back in the tech booth that really help a ton too. I'm especially thankful on weeks when I forget to and leave my microphone on that they mute it because uh, nobody wanted to hear what I was just singing. Uh, but I'm thankful, uh, thankful for uh, so many who serve in so many different ways. So we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and anticipation and expectation are high. And you know this from life, that sometimes when anticipation and expectations are high, we can be surprised at how things actually turn out. About 15 years ago, I had a few years of experience as a husband in, a shorter amount of time of experience as a pastor in, and a very short amount of experience as a dad. Kirsten and I had one child named Annika at the time, and we were trying to adjust to being first-time parents. We were tired. Our church was growing. I had a lot of responsibility there, and we desperately needed a few days off. And so we were highly anticipating a time of vacation that came up, and we found something that fit our budget really well at the time, a cabin for free for pastors and their family in northern Minnesota on the lake. We had come from Minnesota. We loved being at the lake. There was just peace that came there. Free cabin on the lake, uh, overlooking the lake. We just imagined and had great expectations of staying up at night, looking out at the lake, sipping coffee on the deck in the morning, playing in the lake and doing everything we could in the lake with a beautiful view from that cabin. Expectations and anticipation was high. This, this was given as a gift from an older woman who was a retired missionary who owned this cabin and said she would meet us there to let us into the cabin. We arrived then with all of the gear required for somebody traveling with a little child. We had picked up at the grocery store some milk and some things that needed to go in the refrigerator. We pulled into the driveway. I went up to the door alone first as Kirsten was gathering things in the vehicle. We could see even from the driveway through one window of the house, through another window, the lake on the other side and anticipation continued to build. Well, we knock on the door and there's nothing. We ring the doorbell and we can hear it echo, but nothing. Like, well, I, she said she was going to meet us here. This is the time we said we were going to get here. So go back out to the car and we find her phone number and we give her a call. We can hear the phone ringing. She had it set really high so we could hear it ringing, reverberating on the lake and still nothing. Like, well, I got some cold stuff in the refrigerator. Maybe she just left it open for us. So go up back to the door and, and this time just open it. It's unlocked. And so we walk in, get the stuff put in the refrigerator so that it stays cold and walk into the living room to start looking at the rest of the house and see a body lying on the couch. And there's an older woman there. I go back out quickly and tell Kirsten and Annika, there's a woman on the couch. I think she's in there, and I'm not sure if she's still alive. Uh, because, we're, you know, we're knocking on the door. Nothing, nothing was waking her up. I told, I, you know, like I, I can be pretty persuasive. I convinced Kirsten that nobody, if she's just sleeping, nobody wants to wake up to seeing a strange-looking man standing above them. But a beautiful lady and a cute girl would be a lot less alarming. How about you go in there uh, and check this out? So, 
So I, I, it worked. Kirsten and Annika go in there to find this lady's hearing aids laying on the table. She had taken them out because she didn't want to hear anything while she took her nap. She was alive. Uh, she woke up and welcomed us to her home. And when I say her home, I mean her home. We were misunderstanding what we were getting into. We thought we had this cabin on the lake to ourselves. She was going to continue to live there, but we could stay in the room in her basement uh, where she would mostly stay upstairs, but sometimes come down as well. It didn't turn out like anticipation high, expectation high, but the actual accommodations were quite humble, and we left early uh, that week. In, in the first 80 verses of the gospel according to Luke, anticipation has been high because an angel has come and told an old childless man that their prayers would be answered. He and his old childless wife were going to give birth to a baby. And this baby would be a prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord. And then this same angel, six months later, goes not to an old man, but to a young woman who is a virgin and tells her, you too are going to have a baby. But this baby is not just going to be a prophet. This baby is going to be son of the Most High. And this baby will sit on David's throne and reign and rule forever. And so anticipation continues to build. We saw the two women get together. We saw Zach, Mary sing a song. We saw heard Zechariah prophesy a prophecy. All of this is just like, let's get there, let's get there, let's get there, and now we're here. The baby's about to be born. Anticipation and expectations are high. And we wonder if there was rejoicing when the baby prophet was born, how much more when the eternal king is born should there be rejoicing? And so we're going to look today at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. I will read all of the verses in the course of my sermon, but right now let's just look at verses 1 through 5. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the word of God? Let's pray first. Father, uh, would you... Would you mess with us, I guess, right now? Would you not allow us to hear something that we have heard over and over and over again? Even if our time in the church has been short, we've still heard this passage over and over again. And maybe it's even more dangerous for us who have been in the church and heard it over and over and over again that we start to, to, to lose some of what you have for us in this. So by your Spirit, help me and help us to, to speak and to hear in such a way that we hear clearly who your son is, and how we ought to respond to him. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5 that gives us the setting. Here we go. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Amen. You can be seated. Inside your bulletin, sermon notes, and life group guide, and you'll note there that really just split this passage into two sections a surprisingly humble entrance, and a fittingly worshipful response. The setting first in verses 1 through 5, which I just read. 
And I love that Luke, and we would expect this because Luke is a historian, and he's trying to give people certainty that what they've heard is true. And so he shares in detail the political and historical context into which Jesus was born. And we could spend a long time really digging into why in many cases, politically speaking and historically speaking, this was the perfect time for the Christ to be born, right? And and if you want to talk more about that and like you feel just like you really love history, you want to like just kind of nerd out about that with somebody, Eric Staff would be happy to do that with you. He loves this kind of thing and was emailing me this super long email about how excited he is about it and I'm not even going to touch on hardly anything that he emailed me about this week. Except for just to know this. We need to know that God, who is sovereign over every single detail, figured out that this was the exact right time for the Christ to be born. So, we have that in verses 1 through 5. Fitting, it seems, that the place of the birth, we were told, and you might have been confused if you knew your scriptures well, that the angel came and told Mary, who was of Remember that little nowhere town up north called Nazareth, that that she was going to give birth to the one who would be the Messiah. But we, if you knew your scriptures well, would know from Micah chapter 5 that it seemed that this baby was going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, that's interesting. Well, this is how. Uh, Again, just kind of historical context. How is it that a young virgin from Nazareth is going to give birth to a baby 90 miles south in the city, uh, in the little town of Bethlehem, right? Well, all of the, you know, it looks like just politics, but it's not just politics, right? It's God's sovereign hand over every detail of this. But then let's get to the heart of it, verses 6 and 7. What we might expect is that Bethlehem would roll out the red carpet. Bethlehem's not far from Jerusalem. So you might expect at this momentous occasion that all of the religious elites would come from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem to be present for this moment. But that's not what happens. Look at verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And that's it. Two verses, a super simple statement about one of the most world-changing things that has ever happened. We often, you know, wonder about and maybe even sometimes add in details of, you know, knocking on doors and cold-hearted innkeepers and all of that kind of thing. We don't see any of that here. Luke's account is just very simple. A baby's born, and as is the case for most new babies, that baby is wrapped up in something, right? The baby who has been wrapped up in a womb for nine months is then wrapped up in something, maybe even resembling a womb, something that swaddles them and holds them tight, right? So, uh, you know, actually when Pastor Nick sent me the first picture of baby Henry, that's exactly how baby Henry was, all swaddled up. But, but the context was a bit different. Because that took place in a very sanitary hospital. And what we find here that's that's maybe more surprising is the fact that the baby is laid in a manger, which we know to be an animal's feeding trough. So, you know, I assume like grain had to be swept out of the way that there might be a semi-clean spot to 
lay this baby now wrapped in swaddling cloths. A surprisingly humble entrance. Now, we don't know if this, this manger was in a room in a home uh, that was reserved for animals, on a level of the home reserved for animals, if it was in a cave somewhere. We don't have those kind of details given to us. We just know that the entrance of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords seems surprisingly humble. By the way, as, as we go through the Gospel according to Luke, this won't be the last time that we find the way the kingdom of God works to be very surprising. Okay? Just setting us up for what we see in the rest of the book as well. So that's the surprisingly humble entrance. Then what is the response? Verses 8 through 21 give us a fittingly worshipful response. First in verses 8 to 14, good news of great joy for all the people, Christ the Lord is born. We wonder, okay, so this just happened, what happens next? Who is going to be the first to hear the news? How will it be announced? Well, we might not be surprised that the announcement comes from heaven, from an angel sent to earth, but we might be surprised at the recipients of this announcement. When we look at verse 8 and we read this, again, it's familiar, but don't let that cause you to not wonder at this. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, at this time in history, later in history, being a shepherd was a more despised kind of profession. At this time in history, there's no historical documents that really show that being a shepherd was a despised profession. Okay? It wasn't either despised or noble. It was just like a job. It was something that you were usually born into. Okay, so... These people are shepherds because their parents were shepherds. Shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Just everyday guys doing their everyday job. Sheep can't be left on their own, and so they need a shepherd, so a shepherd's just doing his job. And then we read this, because what happens here is not just an everyday kind of thing. Just imagine being them, just doing your job at night, keeping watch for wolves, Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, so this is good news that is going to be announced. It's good news of great joy. Great joy because this is what God's people have been waiting for for thousands of years now, the coming of the Messiah. This is good news of great joy, and it's for all the people. Again, a theme that we're going to see carried throughout the book of Luke. Case in point, it's coming first to shepherds. This is not just for certain you know, religious elites. This is for all the people, everyday guys like shepherds. What's the news? Well, the news is this. There is one who has just been born in the city of David. And, and we don't see anywhere else in the New Testament where these three words all show up in the same verse. Christ, Savior, and Lord. One who is born to you. Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What's a Savior? 
A Savior is one who comes to rescue. One who finds someone else in peril and comes into a situation and pulls them out, rescues them from their peril or danger. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Deliverer. This is good news of great joy for all the people. The Savior has been born. Not only that, it is the Christ, the long-awaited anointed King, the Messiah, the one who comes to rule in the line of David. This also is good news of great joy for all the people. Savior, Christ, and Lord. One who is sovereign and superior over all others. That's who was just born, the Lord. This is good news of great joy that is for all the people. And then a sign is given to these shepherds. Verse 12, go ahead and look, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So this is the second mention of these swaddling cloths and a manger. The swaddling cloths, again, wouldn't be abnormal, but the lying in a manger is abnormal. If the shepherds are hearing, he is Christ, he is Lord, he is Savior. And wait, what do you say about where we're going to find him? It, it, huh, in a, in a manger. That was normal for shepherds, not normal for kings, right? Implication of you will find is that they're supposed to go and look, right? Uh, which we'll see here in a little bit. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now, if you were overwhelmed and in great fear by one angel coming down to make an announcement, just imagine what this would have been like. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, like a heavenly army full of angels, like a, a, an army choir, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here we get a glimpse of the right response to Jesus. Not only is his birth good news of great joy for all the people, but it's such good news that even the heavenly beings, the angels, need to come down from heaven for a bit and just start singing about it. Glory to God in the highest. Praise is the fitting response to the coming of Jesus. And then there's this other reaction. Verse 14 says, And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The, the coming of Jesus is good news for those who will be his, for God's elect, for God's people, those who trust in Jesus and will experience peace in Christ. This is good news for them. And in verses 15 to 21, we see earthly responses to the good news. So we see, here's what the heavens are doing. The heavens got to say something. The heavens need to praise the Lord, and they're telling this to shepherds. And now, how are shepherds and others going to respond down here on earth? Verses 15 to 21. Let's take note of these responses. Verses 15 to 17 first. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What do they do? What's the response? 
Well, they go and see. That's the first. Like this is this is something worthy worth worth you know using some vacation time for, right? So they leave their work there in the field and they go with haste. It's not like it's not like they stand around and talk about it and talk each other out of like, did we really just see? Did we really just hear? No, they just go with haste, right? They were told by the angels, here's what you will find, and so now they go to find it. We'll go, and we will see. And then they retell the good news. Did you hear that there in verse uh, 17? And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Now, we don't know who their audience is. Certainly probably Mary and Joseph, but probably they went into the city or something like that and told others as well. Because of what we see in the next verse, it says, all who heard it. Okay, so, so we don't know who the all is, but, but they are sharing this news. They don't know all that much, right? They only know what they just heard from the angel, and then they know what they just saw with their own eyes, and that's enough to get them to go out and just start telling people. They made known what they had already heard from the Lord. I've told you the story before of a friend of mine in seminary who didn't grow up in in a, a Christian church, so didn't grow up in an evangelical church where he ever heard the gospel, but he just one morning pulled over because he felt like he needed to hear the gospel or something. He goes into a church, hears the gospel, and God saves him. And that week, he goes out and just shares that same message with a whole bunch of people because that was like the only one that he knew. He didn't know a lot, but he knew what he had just heard and experienced, and so he goes out and tells people. That's what's happening with the shepherds here. So they go out and they share. What's the reaction? Verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. It's, it's the buzz. It's what they're talking about. It's what they're thinking about. It's, it's kind of every, it's like on the front of their minds now. Him sharing this news has caused people to wonder. This also is a right response, isn't it? To the coming of Jesus to wonder about it. In verse 19, a different kind of response from Mary. But Mary, so here's a contrast, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That's another right response, isn't it, to the coming of Jesus? A treasuring? A pondering? This is more quiet, reflective. One 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 person said this could best be translated that word ponder could be translated mulling it over she's just taking some time to process as she holds her newborn baby processing what all of this might mean trying to fit all of this together that's the right response and then finally verse 20 the response of the shepherds and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Is that a right response to who Jesus is and what he's come to do? For sure. Glorifying and praising God. And then the passage ends in verse 21 by wrapping up the birth narrative in this way. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So the last thing we see is really obedience on the part of Mary and Joseph. The angel had said his name would be Jesus, and so when they name him, they name him Jesus. So we see obedience as a right response as well. 
All right, so again, familiar story, and I think it was good. I, I think this is good for us now. Here's some application for us. I'm actually glad that we went through this at a time other than Christmas, because Christmas, as you know, gets cluttered with all sorts of stuff. We add all sorts of things to that season that just distract us from actually hearing this good news. So today, without the stress of planning for a major family gathering, we get to hear the good news of Christmas, right? Today, without figuring out presents and trying not to offend people when you return the stuff they bought you and trying to figure out what they want, and without the stress of like figuring out a big meal and everything that comes along with it, we just get to hear this. Yeah, yeah, yes. And, and I think maybe even today, when like, you know, at Christmas time, there's kind of like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. We're waiting, like, it's beautiful, snow coming down. And you get to March, you're like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. It's a dreary day, and it's slippery, and I'm sick of it, and I'm done. And, and we get to hear this, good news. This is good, to be in this building, in this warm place, hearing this good news on this day, even though it's not Christmas. Here's the good news I want us to make sure we hear and believe. Jesus is the Savior. Did you, you heard that. The angels said that Jesus is the Savior. And here's why that's good news. Because you and I need to be saved. Remember, a Savior is one who comes to people who are in a perilous, dangerous situation and need to be helped. There's no way they can help themselves, but they need to be taken out of that dangerous, perilous situation. That is the reality for all of us who are in Adam. Right? We who are born human, sinners by nature and by choice, we are in a perilous situation. The default destination for us is hell because we are rebels against the God who made us. We are in a perilous situation, but praise God that he has sent his son to be the Savior, the one to deliver, to rescue us, to take us out of that situation and to bring us into a whole new world, out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his son who he loves. Praise God that he has sent a Savior. Acts 4.12 tells it this way, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So praise God, and do you hear and believe the good news that you need a Savior, and Jesus is the only Savior. And also, Jesus is Christ the Lord. This is also good news for us today. Do you know it's good news that you're not in charge? Do you know it's good news that you're not the king, that you're not the Lord? It's definitely good news that I am not the king and I am not the Lord. We do not rule and reign. And when we try to act like we do, we're not very good at it at all. And so the good news of great joy is that there is one who is the king. There is the Christ. There is the Lord. He has been born. And this is good news of great joy for all the people. Do you hear that good news and do you believe it in a way that causes you to submit to him? Knowing that I'm not Lord, he's the Lord. I've tried to be king, I've tried to sit on the throne, but he alone is the one who deserves to be on the throne. He is Christ, he is Lord, I am not. Because, here's what it says in Romans 10:9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Good news of great joy for all people. Do you hear it? Have you heard it? Do you believe it? And your answer to that might be no. And if your answer is no, 
then let's talk today before you leave. Like, I'll probably be walking around talking to people, just say, hey, we need to talk. That's great. We'll do that wherever you're at, okay? I'm not going to play some, like, emotional music and have a moment for you. just going to give you an opportunity to talk to somebody about trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But many of us are here today because we've heard this news and because we believe this news. So what's the application for us? The application for us is this. God's intent is not that we would hear this good news one time and believe it and hear it and you know repeat a prayer after somebody, grab your get out of hell free card and then just go back to life as normal. No, this is good news that must be heard repeatedly and believed again and again and again. Good news that we are to respond to all of our lives. And I am grateful that even in these last verses of Luke chapter 2, 1 through 21, we have some specific application for some right ways for us to respond to this good news. Remember that the shepherds went and saw with haste. They went exploring. They went to find out for themselves if what they heard was true. I encourage you. So here's a point of application. Here's one way to respond to this message. Whether you've been in the church your whole life or, or just kind of like maybe you've been in different churches, you're trying to figure this out. I encourage you to be the kind of person who, like these shepherds, doesn't just kind of like have endless speculation and guessing and wondering, but says, I'm going to go figure this out for myself. I'm going to open up the Word. I'm going to sit down with somebody who knows the Bible better than me, and I'm going to take my doubts and my questions and my skepticism, and I'm going to say, I've heard this. Show me. Asking God, God, I've heard this. Show me that this is true. I want to believe this is true. So maybe you go and you explore, act with haste like the shepherds did. Maybe you respond with wonder. Remember verse 18? After the shepherds told other people, what what did the people do? It says, "Eh, well, I got to read it. I can't remember. Verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. We need to respond with wonder more often. That's, that's one of the, there's lots of stinky things about getting older, but one of the stinky things about getting older is we maybe fail to wonder as much as kids do. Have you noticed how awesome it is? Like if you've spent time around little kids and seeing them kind of like see things again or see things for the first time and see the awe that kids live with. So maybe one practical way for us to live with more wonder is spend more time with kids. Like if you've got your own kid, don't spend all your time just like running to activities. Just just go explore something with them and live in wonder with them. If you've got grandkids, just see the world through their eyes. If you're a volunteer in children's ministry in the church, that's one of the great wonders that we get to have is we get to see wonderful things through the eyes of kids who more naturally live with wonder. So wondering is one right response to who Jesus is and what he's done. Also, I think what Mary did. Verse 19, treasuring, pondering, a more quiet, reflective study maybe. You're you're trying to put all of this stuff together. That's a right response to who Jesus is. Spend time in Scripture on your own, quietly, meditating, reflecting, maybe even memorizing. That helps. Helps you slow down. Life is busy. Don't try to read as much as I possibly can at this moment. Slow down. Try to put it all together. Treasure. Ponder. And then I think 
telling and retelling. That's what the shepherds did. I already kind of alluded to this earlier. Remember the shepherds, they didn't know everything, but they know what they heard, they know what they saw, and they went and told people. And God used it. We ought to be just like that. And then finally, praising and glorifying. That's what the shepherds went home and did. That's the right response to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The right response is, all right, I got to get back to work. I don't know how many sheep I lost while I was doing that thing, but I got to get back to work. And while I do it, I'm praising and glorifying God. I'm a different person. I see Jesus differently than I once did. And because of who he is and what he's done, I respond by praising and glorifying him. Let's be a church that just loves to do this. Let's be a church, like, and, and we've got to maybe, if you're not there already, just ask God, like, God, help me to just long to be with your people that through the fellowship and prayer and singing and, and, and sitting under preaching in the church, that you would move my heart to just praise and glorify, that I want to do that. That's what I want to do in response to who Jesus is. I think we can also learn to do that in conversation. I noticed this when I traveled to a couple of other countries, that they're way quicker. When you talk to Christians in other countries, they're way quicker to just give praise and glory to God about everything, right? Like, you know, you just say something, oh, hallelujah. That's like a greeting. Praise the Lord, right? And we're like, we're hesitant. Like, I, you know, maybe we're kind of, you know, we've been in a secular workplace or a public school. Like, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to talk. Like, we can talk about God. Like, we really can. And so when you're talking with another believer and they're telling you something, like, praise God. And just, just say that out loud. That's a, that's a good practice to have. We can do it in prayer. We can do it in singing. And that's what we're about to do now. I think that's what I want to do. I want to want to sing together again with my microphone off. Uh, but but uh, a couple people up here will have microphones on to help us sing and to delight again in this is who Jesus is. And God, would you give me kind of a, a shepherd-like heart that desires to just praise and glorify you for all that you are and all that you've done in your son. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news of great joy for all people, that Jesus is Savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us not to lose our sense of wonder, that you would help our anticipation and expectations to remain high as we hear and believe the good news of who Jesus is, what he came to do. God, would you save people even today as they hear and believe this good news and put their trust in Christ alone? God, would you stir up the saved to respond to this good news by continuing to hear, believe, examine, to wonder, to treasure, to ponder, to glorify, to praise, to tell, and to retell? Would you stir us up to that for our good, for the good of all people, and for the glory of the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen.